Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel comics on sale April 27, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. Yeah, things are exciting. We're going to be talking about some fun books this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just, before we were started recording here, we recorded our reading club for episode number 200, whoop, which whoop. is... Yeah, I'm pretty surprised at us for being able to record for 200 minutes straight. That was whew, some dedication right there. Like I'm doing this thing on Peloton now called Power Zone, and it's all Ooh. about endurance training. So mm-hmm. I've been building up to this. It all works out. Specifically for episode 200. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're not here to talk about my training. No, we are here to talk about lots of comics because this is the official Marvel podcast of Marvel Comics. We're going to talk about uh, our picks this week, our favorites, personal favorites for uh, all the books out this week. We're going to tell you what other new comics are out, give out some awards, give out some fun stuff there, talk about the Infinity comics that are on Marvel Unlimited, what else has hit Marvel Unlimited, the collections, and then get into our reading club, which is what... Jasmine? We are talking to Tochi Anyobuchi uh, for part two of our reading club on Executioner's Song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exciting the stuff. conversation, so big, so important, so momentous that we had to stretch it over two episodes. It's pretty funny because this one we weren't planning on recording for 200 minutes straight, but ended up doing so anyway. Yeah. Speaking of the reading club that we're doing with Tochi about Executioner Song, um, obviously this week is part two. Last week was part one. We got tons of great excitement about that episode and rereading the story. Um, our pal Mountain Meg at Meg Stocker tweeted, I'm starting a reread of Executioner Song now. Thanks to Jasmine and Ryan's latest interview on Marvel's Polis. Can't wait to hear part two next week. The storyline was right when I was getting into my love for comic books, and it quickly made X-Men my very favorite team. Such great memories. Thanks for the bonus shout out this week, too. The kids were literally bouncing off the walls when they heard their names last week. More fun kid photos to come to, we promise. Give us all the photos. I want the kids bouncing all around the world. All the walls. Yes, all the walls. I also want to point out another tweet that we got from Kareem Ahmed at that Kareem Ahmed on Twitter. Um, He says, dang, thanks, Agent M, Jasmineist, and Tochi True Story, which is Tochi's Twitter handle, if you guys are looking for him on Twitter, for the dope Executioner Song uh, Reading Club. Totally motivated me to go back and reread for the first time since it came out. So epic. Pouches and shoulders for days. Can't believe it took me 30 years to revisit and feeling very old now. <laughs> yeah, this is this should be an annual tradition for everyone out there. Pick a day that is your executioner song day. Read the entire thing in one sitting worth every second. We're, we're, we're going to get you into that real soon. So let's dive into the new books on sale this week with our picks. First up is Amazing Spider-Man number one. Jasmine, this issue marks the return of John Romita Jr. to the pages of Amazing Spider-Man regularly. And boy, oh boy, I love Johnny Jr. so much. You got to do some stuff with him for some podcast work, right? I got to talk to him for the history of Marvel Comics, uh, Black Panther. Um, There's a great, 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 great bonus episode of that podcast over on Apple Podcasts that if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to, I highly recommend it because in it, not only do we get to talk to John Romita Jr. about his work on Black Panther uh, with Reginald Hudlin, but also we got some really intimate moments where he remembers, you know, his father doing work on Daredevil and a bunch of other books and how a lot of that helped form, you know, how he does what he does today, which is very insightful and just amazing. Yeah. If we were to put together a list of potential greatest Marvel Comics artists of all time, there is no doubt in my mind you would put John Romita Jr. on that list. And it is tremendous. Uh, He's the artist here. It is written by Zeb Wells, inks by Scott Hanna, who is also a great uh, partner of Johnny's. Just so good. And colors by Marcio Meniz with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Um, This is also an intense storyline. It's not as like humorous as you expect a Zeb Wells book to be because Zeb does comedy so well. But it also reminds you that Zeb does drama and emotion and devastating beats so incredibly well as well we saw that in beyond but we've seen it he's done some doc ock stuff and some other you know things over the years here we're at a place with peter parker where things are not all right 
And I like that we open in this issue with like something going terribly wrong with Spidey. And then six months later, Mm -hmm. which is a rad way to tell a story, which gives us a lot to wonder about a lot of mystery. There's a lot of scenes where Spidey or Peter is dealing with the repercussions of whatever he did which we don't know. And I, I like that. I want to, I want that to be sort of teased out for a while on top of that. It's full of like great Spidey supporting cast members. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Mary Jane in here in a, a way. I was just like, what the hell? Oh, Oh my God. I, I got like mad at the book, but in a good, <laughs> way. not in a way where I was like, I'm done reading this book. It was very like, don't do this to me, Zeb. Don't yeah. do this to me. Yeah. We've got that the conversation he has with um, Aunt May. To me, it reminded me of the storyline where uh, Aunt May found out his identity as Spider-Man back in the, mm-hmm. you, know, you know 15, 20 years ago in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man with John Romita Jr. and J. Michael Straczynski. They're a little, um, you got Robbie Robertson in here. And then on the villain side, we get Tombstone. We get White Rabbit, which was a lot of fun to see her. So happy. Yeah. I love how she's the muscle in this book. Tombstone's like, yeah, check this out. I yeah. got White Rabbit. And the the Rose, who's the other antagonist in this book, is like, yeah, me too. Here's Digger, who is like a gamma radiated monster. And White Rabbit's like, I got this. Yeah. Anyway, yes. um, yeah, there's there's a lot going on in here. Got to give super duper shout outs, though, to Johnny and Scott and Marcio for rain. It's one of my favorite things that I've to watch John Romita Jr. draw and then to have his collaborators work with him on is drawing characters and, and things happening in the rain. The way he draws rain and it's splashing, that it, it feels wet. It's one of those weird things where you read it and you can feel that these characters are covered in water that if they don't have umbrella, you know, like it's one of those weird things, but it's done so well. It's done really well. You see the movement in the rain. You see, mm-hmm. it's not just like a, like an overlay. It's very like as much a part of the scene as the rest of the book and the art is. So terrific beginning to a new era for amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. Super excited about that book. Um, next up, my first pick of the week is Knights of X number one. Uh, another number one here. Um, and it's written by Teeny Howard uh, with art by Bob Quinn, colors by Eric Arseniega, and letters by VCs Ariana Mayer. This book rules. I was very excited that we will get that we were going to get a new book from Teeny Howard. Uh, we ended Excalibur. Uh, well, it's been like two months now since the last issue of Excalibur came out. Oh, man. And, yeah, it's crazy. Um, and this picks up right where it left off. We have Captain Britain, a.k.a. Betsy Braddock, over in Otherworld by herself without her team, but she is in the midst of a war and she still needs backup. How she gets that backup from mutants on Krakoa is is another story. And that's pretty much what happens in this issue. We not only figure out how she does it, but we also see her recruit certain members and why these specific members were chosen. Some of them are returning characters from Excalibur, uh, but we do have a couple of new characters in the midst as well. Um, which is really exciting. But I do want to quickly highlight the appearance of one Jersey Devil in this yeah. book, who I know longtime co-host of the show, Tucker Marcus, is probably really excited about because he is from New Jersey and he is representing hard in this issue. There's moments where we get Shogo, um, who, if you remember from Excalibur, would transform into a full-size dragon uh, when in Otherworld. We get to see Shogo's thoughts uh, this time around as a dragon, but they're pretty much just like, drawings like little kid drawings that manifest in like around him and this when we're talking about his thoughts um which i think is adorable it just adds another layer to the like essentially the way that this story is being told and then i just really want to also talk about rachel summers's new look because holy is it awesome it's a new brand new look that we haven't really seen before in the past but very much fits into the style of you know other world and excalibur it's not quite what you would expect. And I've never really been a fan of her costumes before. But this one is probably my my all-time favorite, like right off the bat. Like, I'd love it. Uh, it was a blast. Super fun. Um, all right. Let's roll on to Thor number 24, which is legacy numbering 
Thor number 750. This is a big one, so big that we're going to have to do this together. Uh, I know this is one you in particular wanted to talk about a bunch of the stories in here because there's a lot going on in this so issue. Many. I'm going to say, first off, the cover of this book has a, tells you a lot about what's going on. It's like giant spoilers. You can't escape it. So I'm, I'm, I know we tried not to spoil things, but like Odin is dead. Okay. Yeah. And so this issue is about the funeral for Odin and eulogies for Odin. So sorry, but it's like very front and center in this. Also issue. like not the, the first time Odin has died. It, probably <laughs> the, the death still hits hard, which I think is an important thing to remember because these characters still connect uh, the core story here as we've had for previous issues. And which is um, the, the framing sequence of this is written by Donnie Cates with art by Nick Klein, colors by Matt Wilson and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. There is a double page spread, the second or third page mm. of this issue, which features a like wide shot of Asgard in the funeral procession as Odin is laid in this golden casket and um, pulled by, you know, this, uh, his incredible horse. And you see, you know, members of all the different realms and celestials in the background and it's raining and people are crying and it's so beautifully, wonderfully depicted by Nick Klein. I like stared at this same for a while. I would, like, I mean, there's, there's so many pieces to it too. And so many different characters of different scale that like really just makes this thing sing. Yeah. Then we get into sort of Thor reading from this, this book and telling stories about Odin, which gives us the intro into um, how we get so many other amazing creators on this book. It's basically telling stories of Odin throughout his life or other things that tied to Odin's legacy and life. So uh, you want to take this next one? Yeah, it's called Prologue. It's written by Walt Simonson uh, with art done by Walt Simonson and colors by Laura Martin and Matt Mila with letters by John Workman. And I mean, plain and simply, like this is a Beta Ray Bills prequel. So if you are familiar with Walt Simonson's run, you know that it starts off with Beta Ray Bill just kind of coming in and kicking butt. This is pretty much the stuff that leads up to that point. We learn how Beta Ray Bill got his powers, why he looks like a like a mutated horse alien. But there is like a little small nugget of like added information here. And it's very much about the program that Beta Ray Bill went through to become who he is today, which is pretty much a super soldier program of sorts, but on a planet full of Corbinites. There is something that's really interesting in here. There's like a, almost like a character reveal here where it seems like it haunts Beta Ray Bill a little bit. So I'm excited to see if that pops up in the future. Yeah. Um, the next story is one um, that is, is pretty neat because you know, we, we talk a lot about Walt Simonson or, you know, some of the other creators in here, Jason Aaron and many others. But one of the a, a long tenure on Thor was writer Dan Jurgens, um, who had like a six year tenure, maybe a little bit more. He did a great Thor run in the 90s and early 2000s. And this issue has a story written by Dan Jurgens, who also pencils it, inked by Klaus Jansen, colored by Matt Wilson and lettered by VCs Joe Sabino, that is situated like right around the time of Thor number 25. It's got Thor with this gnarly armor and shield and his hammer and it gets him when he's fighting the Mangog and Thanos was referenced and, uh, you know, in the original run, uh, Johnny Jr., John Romita Jr. Uh, was the penciler on Thor 25 that connects like directly to this issue. So it's it's a really neat throwback to another very classic run of Thor comics. I love the colors on that story as well. Um, I mean, Matt Wilson is... One of the greatest of all time? Hell yeah. Um, speaking of one of the greatest of all time, the next story uh, in this issue is called Benedictions by J. Michael Straczynski, and it features Olivier Coipel art, which is just gorgeous. When you flip the pages and you get to that story, it's just, it's so refreshing to see him back on Thor again. It's probably one of my favorite things that he's done. And just seeing that art again just shines. Um, there's a lot of stuff here again that gets revealed, from that same JMS run uh, from a few years ago. And it's nice to enter that world again, come back to some of our favorite eras of Thor, including the next one. It's a, a Loki story, and it's been almost seven years since the end of Loki, Agent of Asgard, which just doesn't it's seem crazy possible. to me. Yeah, it's I had to look wild. it up when I was reading this story, and I was just like, wait, when did this book end? Seven years ago. And yeah. it literally, 
literally picks up right where it left off. At the end of that run, Loki walks through a door and it's just like, all right, see you next time. And then in this story, he literally is walking through that same door, but we get to see what's on the opposite side. And he's like, oh, hey guys, long time no see. Just by the same creative team of writer Al Ewing, artist Lee Garbett. Uh, in this issue, it's colored by Antonio Fabella and lettered by VCs Joe Sabino. So really neat. Yeah. Uh, another great thing, which, you know, I'm always here for is a Jason Aaron Thor family story. So we have a, an Odin story featuring Jason Aaron uh, writing it with art by Das Pastoris and lettered by VCs Joe Sabino. Das did some uh, great art in Thor, God of Thunder. Um, so we get a whole bunch of these great stories by the creators, and then it comes back around to the core story by Donnie and Nick and crew that sets Odin off into the ether, but really tells you what's going on. The thing that I particularly loved here is the reasoning for what's going on and, and that we, we get a sense of why Odin is the way he is at the end of this story, which is vague enough where you still need to read it to learn about it. But I was like, oh, that's exciting and terrifying. Yeah. I can't wait to see where this goes. It is exactly what you want out of a friggin' comic book to get you right at the end with a gut punch and like a hook to say, all right, here we go. Get in the car. And like, yes. we're going to drive off. And not only space. that, but honor what's come before. I love this book so much. Hell yeah. All right, we're going to get into the rest of the books for this week, but it is time for some awards talk. Jasmine, what was the award from last week? So last week's award name was The Living Loaves of Cultured Hamburger, which was found in the Avengers number 55. Uh, that was a good one. It was a great, great quote, but also easy to find if you read alphabetically or maybe you read um, your favorite titles because Avengers is, is a damn fine title. Um, and pretty shortly after the episode released, we, we had a flurry of folks getting the award correct. First was though, Karis Pollard at A. Karis Pollard. Woo. Thank you, Karis. Coming in there. Yes, she does have an advantage because she's- I thought um, that was funny. Several hours ahead being in yeah. the UK. But got to give it up to our pal Steve Agnew um, at Viking Prince who got it. And- uh, Space Tardigrade at Lex Pendragon, who were also in there, like, really close. So everybody's a winner with this I one. also love that everyone's just, like, like giving each other a pat on the back for yeah. finding it. Like, it's yeah. just, like, everyone's nice. Totally. I love our community. Are you ready for this week's award, Ryan? I am. All right. This week, we are giving away the nice multiverse you have here award. Yes. And if you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at Marvel.com. If you're the first, maybe you get something fun. I mean, you will. Our listeners are incredible and it takes a lot of work to find these at times. Um, so thank you all for participating. Yeah. All right. Let's roll on into the new books this week. First up, we have Alien number 11. I am right off the top giving my nice multiverse you have here award to cover artist mark aspinall the main cover on this book is one of the most stunning pieces of xenomorph art it got these blues and oranges on it that is just unlike anything you ever see when it comes to a lot of the alien stories and that carries over into the book as we're following this uh the xenomorphs as they're running rampant on this planet and finally getting in here into a lot of the the behind the scenes and the really just sinister freaking stuff that is behind all of this this issue in particular ramped up everything for me in this arc all right next up we have carnage number two and i right off the bat too want to give my award to the artist of this book francesco mana um, because there is this double page spread in this book that is so just like visceral that when you see it, it not only frames all these different moments within Carnage's like history and like what they've been through, but also the character that is the center of this uh, page. You get to see what got them to this point in their life. But the way that the character is like, it's like almost out of focus, but also like being like shaken around. It's just very disturbing. And so when you see it, you can feel this like anxiety about it um, that is very much in line with what the story is about. So I want to give them my nice multiverse you have here award. All right, let's roll on into 
Hulk Grand Design Madness, the second of the two Hulk Grand Design issues that is all done by Jim Rugg, and it is it's a whopper. I want to give my nice multiverse you have here award to a, a two-page sequence, right? There's one page where you're following Hulk as he's in the story where he's been attacked and then teamed up with X-Factor. This is like the late 80s, mid-late 80s, and you, then you turn the page and it is one of the most like bombastic, stark, exciting page turns I've gotten. And it's simply going from the one page to the next is a cover recreation of Incredible Hulk number 340, but also some extra bits of Hulk fighting Manbull and the leader and some other stuff. And it is so bright and so exciting and so cool. I stared at this page for a good couple of minutes being like, damn, Jim, this is some good ass stuff. It's so gorgeous. This book is great. And there will be a reading list on MU with all of those books in order of Very appearance. smart. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Very excited about it. All right. Next up, we have Ms. Marvel Beyond the Limit number five, which is the last issue of this Beyond the Limit miniseries. And um, I want to give my nice multiverse you have here award to Samira Ahmed. We kind of talked to her about it when we were talking about Ms. Marvel in our, one of our reading clubs a couple of episodes back. But just the use of downtime where it's not like we have to go and like, you know, punch and go. It's very much like, okay, let's take a break. Let's regroup. And while we're, you know, eating food to essentially get energy to fight back and like go back. Like it's Nadia, Ms. Marvel and, and Bruno just in the back. Remember? We don't talk about Yeah, I know. That's why I forgot it. Obviously. Duh. They're in the back of Circle Q, just kind of like hanging out as they're trying to figure out what their plan is to finish, you know, corn off. Um, to figure out how to like not only just defeat her, but send her back to her universe and like make sure that everything's okay. Because the last thing they want to do is, you know, ruin her life any further. Um, and I like that they are problem solving while also like, you know, just hanging out. I like the use of downtime in this book a lot. And I know this Mira is very aware of it. And I, I like that narrative device. Yeah. On to Punisher number two, which another one was very nearly one of my picks of the week because it's so friggin' good. Holy cannoli, this one is it's epic. Uh, Jason Aaron is a madman and telling this Frank Castle story. He's just not holding back. And thankfully, he's got amazing collaborators. I want to shout out Jesus Saiz in here. Of course, uh, Paul is a Seta, but the my uh, nice multiverse you have here award I'm giving to the team in uh, all over for a single page spread that they have about halfway into the issue. Punisher is displeased with someone. You have this conversation that is escalating, escalating, escalating. And then Frank Castle has shurikens in between his knuckles in his hands, cutting himself bloody, but he's hurting someone with his fist and these things. And he screams, the only war I give a damn about is mine. And it's just this big moment. I was just like, going to do some push-ups. I'm going to hell. Like, yeah. No, the adrenaline was pumping. The minute you start using shurikens as brass knuckles, like all bets are off. Like, Oh my God. And then can we, can we just hint at that last page reveal? Because that pumped yeah. me up. Next up, we have Sabretooth number three, and I, I, I have a tie for this one because I want to give my nice multiverse you have here award to one, Victor Laval, for just being able to make Xavier terrifyingly creepy and scary. Like, I'm, I'm like legit scared of Xavier, and there's this whole story that goes on throughout this issue where Melter is very much afraid of Professor X, um, and it's not necessarily for any bad reasons. It's just like, his omnipresence is the thing that he's afraid of. And the way that the story is told, he is like a boogeyman in this. And I, I find that very interesting. But I also want to give credit to the artist on this book, and that's Leonard Kirk, because he he does draw Professor X in such a creepy way. Um, and the angles that he uses are really fascinating and very much like from horror movies. The The people who are in the pit, the mutants that are in the pit, find a way to essentially break out which I think is really interesting. And it's not quite what you would expect. And the way that these characters are drawn outside of the pit is just so awesome. He is clearly just flexing a muscle that he hasn't been able to flex in a while. And he's just showing off at this point. But also 
we get some bling action in this book. So I'm very excited. Um, all right. On to Silk number four. There's a lot of great moments. Emily Kim, so good. So good. Silk. Her dialogue is fantastic. There are a bunch of uh, conversations that happen in here mm-hmm. uh, with Silk supporting characters, which nearly got my award. But my nice multiverse you have here award, I am giving to Silk's mask her disguise (laughs) because she's going through some stuff and so she puts on a mask to sort of like get around while still not revealing what's going on with her and her mask is it's fantastic i i laughed out loud it was great it's perfect for the situation and who she's talking to too next up is silver surfer rebirth number four and i'm sorry i gotta give hey nice multiverse you have here award to ron lim because so we get four versions of the silver surfer from different eras of Silver Surfer's history. They're each drawn in a very distinct way from different eras, from different artist styles throughout the years. We have, you know, a version of Silver Surfer that looks like the the one that Jack Kirby drew, one that John Buscema drew. Speaking of Mobius, Mobius's Silver Surfer is in here, as well as Michael Allred's from Dan Slott's run on Silver Surfer. And it's weird to me that you can like make the Silver Surfer look distinctly different across four different versions of him but like they do it and and the way that they accomplish it in this book is really fascinating especially with textures and colors uh but i mean how many ways can you draw silver surfer and make them look different apparently five all right last book of the week is star wars crimson rain number four i'm gonna give my nice multiverse you have here award to the arrival of the knights of ren deep into this story I don't want to spoil where they go and who they interact with, but there's a whole sequence towards the end. I was like, oh, damn, this this is happening. Yeah. So that's all we have for Fresh Floppies this week. On the MU side, uh, we have a bunch of Infinity Comics coming uh, to the app, including X-Men Unlimited, Infinity Comic number 32, Spider-Verse Unlimited, Infinity Comic number four, White Fox, Infinity Comic number four, and Marvel Meow, Infinity Comic number five. And big shout out to last week. We had some surprise drops for the mm-hmm. Who Is Infinity Comics. Um, those are super cool. One of them is written by one of the, my closest friends in this life or any other, Alex Segura, um, who I literally saw him like a, a week ago. He didn't tell me he was doing this book. He, he did didn't the know he was doing America this book Chavez one. Anyway, go read uh, his stuff on, on MU. Like, you can also read a whole bunch of other books. There's some Devil Rain stuff on Marvel Unlimited. A new issue of Moon Knight is hitting. Most importantly, I think maybe for this week on MU, first issues of both Silk and She-Hulk hit mm-hmm. Marvel Unlimited this week. Get also up on Silver this. Surfer Rebirth, if you're feeling a little cosmic. Oh, yeah. I missed that one. Yeah, for sure. That Those are great. Those are really great books. A lot to check out this week on Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, and over on the collection side of things, we have Phoenix Song, Echo, Spider-Gwen, Deal with the Devil, and the X-Men Omnibus by Jonathan Hickman. That's a that's a gorgeous hardcover omnibus that you might, I mean, that I might have to get and bring my bag for. So, yeah. All right. You know what deserves all the omnibuses in the world? X-Men Executioner Song, baby. How did I know uh, you were going to say that? Uh, because that is time for our reading club part two with Tochi Anyabuchi. We're going to get into it. We're going to talk about some Captain America stuff that he's working on. I am yeah. going to stop yapping now yeah. and let us hear from Tochi. Yeah. The story that we're talking about is X-Men Executioner Song. We go into the the next part, which is um, part three, X-Men number 14, uh, which is actually Andy Kubert's first issue on X-Men, which I didn't realize uh, it, it says it very clearly there. But I was looking before him and, you know, Jim Lee had finished with 12 and there were a couple of fill ins. But then, yeah, Andy comes in. He has a, a good long tenure doing X-Men stuff. But um, I... So much Again, love. The trigger we... happy bishop. Like he's just like Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. He's front and center. You could feel him tapping his foot like I gotta I gotta do something. But we get uh we get Sinister and we get members of the MLF and I love oh, the fashion yes. choices for mm-hmm. like um yes. jungle safari uh forearm and um Reaper. 
Yeah, Reaper mm-hmm. for forearm and Reaper here. It's just they got their they got their shorty shorts on. <laughs> yeah. They're like their vests Ugh, is tremendous. It really is. It really, really, really is. And even like on a smaller level, I think it's it's page sixty. That last panel of Sinister holding the canister, you know, that allegedly contains like the genetic matrix of I believe the the Summers, the Summers family. family. That last panel, it looks like he's licking the canister. It's so gross. Yeah. (laughs) But feels very in character. Very in character. We don't depict smoking in our comics now, which I appreciate. But at the same time, there's this shot of Wolverine, this full, like, half page, (laughs) but, like, vertical shot of Wolverine talking. And he's lighting up a cigarette. And I'm like, man, he looks so badass. It's such a like intro, like like a dramatic introduction to a character, like in a scene yep. where he's just like all these characters are having like discussions, on, uh, like what's going on. And he's just like leaning up against the wall. And you can just hear the like flicker of the yep. of his like Zippo, just like Tch. yep, yep. What do you guys, What are you guys talking about? Like uh, he says, <laughs> yeah. maybe it's just the way of the world that did it. Maybe the dream is dead. Just being super dramatic. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should all stop pretending it ain't and accept the fact we're living in a nightmare. Meanwhile, yeah. everybody else on the X Factor is just like wafting away the smoke. Like, dude, chill. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. get it. You like, like strong like, guys like, uh, uh. <laughs> like cool, man. We get it. You're so gross, little dude. <laughs> like, who let you uh, in? Yeah, Where'd you yeah. come from, <laughs> dude? You totally can't smoke in here. <laughs> Let's move on to the next issue because this is where we yeah. start seeing these like big showdowns. Yes. <laughs> the teaser for issue four at the end of part three is X versus X, Bishop versus Sinister, Cyclops and Gene discover a startling secret. Ah. Yep, yep, yep. And this is the issue where we get that beast yeah. that you were talking yeah. about too. So it's like it's fully detailed. Like his belt is like barely hanging on to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, also on the note of the drawing of really gross things like in this in the same issue in part four miss like sinister gets shot mm-hmm. in the head yes it's and so it's gross been, it, it's so gross and it's like it you know what it brought to mind because i i'm pretty sure this came out you know around the same time where they're melted together in my in my head but terminator 2 judgment day mm-hmm. yes exactly i was just when about the, to say that yeah and yeah. there's like no blood or anything either it's just like a hole in his head and you're just like this is still disgusting and like yes okay but we also get that amazing shot of cable with like yes. it's where he's just wearing a tank like it, there's, i should have this as a tattoo like on my heart like he's there's no skin in this picture it's just metal and bags yes yeah we got a beautiful strife page after that but then the the sort of wolverine and the x teams tracking down the x-force kids and i've always thought about how wolverine you know, jumps out of the shadows, jumps out of the bushes, takes down Cannonball and leaps away so fast where Feral can't get to him. And like, they're just like hunting them. And yeah. it is, they are so outclassed. Yep. It is wild. This panel of multiple man, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. 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 Straight fire. But also that panel on the same page of Wolverine catching Feral. And all you see is you see Feral and then you see Wolverine's like fist with two claws out on either side of Farrell's net. And you know, if, if that middle claw comes out, it's curtains, it's curtains, but it's so gangster. And it's like, my favorite part is that there's two snakes sound effects, yes! like letters there. So it's not like he, he did them at simultaneously. It was like, he did mm-hmm. one and then two. And then he was just like, third one's, you know, right here. Yeah, he didn't want a killer. So he was just being extra careful at that point. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next part is another Uncanny X-Men issue. We got gross, gnarly apocalypse, like just trying to climb back out of his thing and, and feeling all, all gross. Uh, my favorite part right, right away in this issue is Jubilee yelling at all the X-Force kids. She's like, you know, a couple years younger than them yep. and just calling them loser, poorly dressed, overly accessorized, delusionally disadvantaged X-Men wannabes. She calls them hyperthyroid. Yes, I saw that too. And I was like, <laughs> wow, she's just going straight for the jugular. Like literally. Yeah, no, she's roasting them. <laughs> 
Yeah. And then she, and then like, then strong guy tries to stop her. And he's like, all right, chill. You got to stop. And then she was like, let me go. You third generation Colossus knockoff. Like (laughs) that is amazing. Psylocke comes in at one point. She almost kills professor Xavier. She thinks about it, like to put him out of his misery in a sense, just so dramatic. It's so dramatic. And that is one one page. page. It was a story on its own. I was about to make that very same point. Like, you literally have an entire arc's worth of material, like, in that one. If she had gone through on that, that, like, would have had consequences for the entire Marvel Universe. And it's just, like, one page. Those are my favorites. Like, when artists can, like, just fill one page with, like, a complete story. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I like is that there's, like, a mentor-mentee dynamic. And so, like... Wolverine is very old. It goes back again. Bishop is young. Like he, he looks older than he is, but you know, Wolverine's like, Wolverine calls everybody kid, but like he does see him as like, Hey, let's do this together. And then he even says, you kind of remind me of me in my youth, Mm -hmm. which is, it's a really sweet moment there. Yeah. At the end of this chapter too, we, we get some of Ryan's favorite character, uh, Gambit, Mm. uh, just, you know, coming in, getting a little action. No, it's him and Havoc interrogating Cannonball. Mm -hmm. Which is like again, talk about trigger happy like character. Like Gambit needs to chill. Like, yeah, Havoc's like I'm just trying to figure out what's happening, and Gambit's like, but what if I throw this card at right. you? <laughs> in the we're all in the same room. Like you know what happens if that card goes off. By the end of the issue, we get Wolverine and Bishop. They've they've found Cable, and it has another one of those really funny moments. Like they crash through the wall, and Cable is getting there at the same time, and he just quietly goes to himself. It's going to be one of those days. <laughs> yes. Yes. We jump to part six, which is another X Factor issue and has one of the coolest opening pages oh. and panels. Wolverine and Bishop there. Like, again, Jay Lee drawing the gnarliest muscles on yes. Bishop. It is. And then you go to the next, you flip the page and you see that big spread. And it's like, talk about gnarly muscles. Oh. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah. It's, it's literally a shot of. Cable and, you know, Bishop going at each other. Story, I love the name of the story, too. It's called Snicks and Bones. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. This also has the MLF, the Mutant uh, Liberation Front, fight against the combined X-Men, X-Factor, and a little bit of X-Force team here. It is so mean. It's just like <laughs> so they just beat the tar out of the MLF. Like, there's one point where... You see um, Dragonus, like, she gets just destroyed by Rogue, Polaris, and Storm. You get uh, Tempo. I was going to say Tempo in there, just getting beat up. And I'm like, oh, poor Tempo. I know, I know. And then you got one of the coolest panels, which always, like, it's sort of like an optical illusion, the way Forearm holds Archangel and, like, who's arm is where and whose face it's so cool so amazingly done and then you have poor stupid kamikaze coming in from behind oh yeah and that moment where archangel just turns and his razor sharp wings cut off kamikaze's head you get a decapitation in this issue a bouncing head yep it is boing 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 and then boom boom throws up all over yep she it's so funny she's like Cause like it bounces right next to her, and she's like, "What is? Oh no!" <laughs> yeah. And she says, "It touched me." Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, the, the MLF does get pretty trashed, but Wildside and Reaper do take down Quicksilver and Gambit. Mm-hmm. So respect. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that I was always really excited about. You know, with these types of arcs, was that there's literally action and fighting on like every single page of this issue and yet it all moves the story forward and like this is the issue where you know we get cable basically saying hey look it wasn't me and so we're we're like okay what's going on because we clearly saw you were the one who who did it they have no reason to suspect that he has a clone in part seven um we get a lot of aftermath there's still a lot of fun fighting and running and stuff there's a great moment we, we talked about the coffee moments um but strong guy gives coffee to colossus who mm-hmm. it, it's great but colossus 
one panel, you get this incredible pathos and sadness from Colossus because he's just dealt with the loss of his brother and this whole thing, which if you're reading X-Men comics now, you know that like Mikhail Rasputin is this big major character going on in those storylines. But uh, Strong Guy says, uh, a fine blend, if I say so myself, talking about the coffee, Hawaiian hazelnut mocha cream Jack Daniels. And it's just <laughs> he's got the little cup with his fingers no my up. favorite is like so he he says all of that and then colossus is like do you have good news to tell me and then strong guy's like yep i put too much jd in there <laughs> just and i'm like wow wow. Yeah. wow wow bravo yes this is the issue in which strife force feeds baby food to to cyclops it's so like it makes me like i have like a visceral reaction when i see yeah. it i'm just like ew gross it's andy kubert art it's again it's going he does really really great like gross texture liquid feeling things on a face and strife is uh, like there's a good boy oh yeah, as he's shoving it into his mouth oh. <laughs> and then he's like afterwards he's like little boy enjoy his dinner did i do it right like yo the psychosis is that how you nurse a child oh. um we get strife rolling up to apocalypse's house and being like fight me He's, he just comes in. <laughs> He's like, fight me, old man. And you get the Dark Riders, who's such cool character designs. Like, they're just yep. these gnarly, weird 90s mutants. And he lays them out oh. right away. Oh. Uh, uh, you get All of yelling, you useless. Unfit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unfit. And then he, like meets Apocalypse at the end of this issue. And he's just like, Apocalypse. And Apocalypse is just like, who are you? I'm sorry. Like, should I know you? Yeah. But, and then, I mean, just tremendous. As you are the devil of yesterday who haunts my tomorrows, I am the demon of tomorrow who has come for cold retribution. I am Strife. Remember it, for that is the name of the man who is going to kill you. Yeah. Best comic book ever. I mean, if you're going to do that, if you're going to say all of that to Apocalypse, like, you better come in swinging. Yeah. Like, you better you be- hope. Yeah. Yeah. You better be locked and loaded, ready to go. Meanwhile, yeah. Apocalypse he... is thinking, it's going to be one of those days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, one of the rad things is when we get into X-Force, the next issue, another issue drawn by Greg Capullo, you get this beautiful splash page to open it up with Strife and Apocalypse. And then you flip over and he, they flip the art on its side. Yeah. And it just, you know what? This is how we're doing it. And you get awesome awesome action changes the the flow of it and you go back and forth on that it's rad as hell yeah in the battle strife stabs apocalypse with a blade that has apocalypse's face on it just like how, yo yo mm. even apocalypse is just like what the heck yeah. like <laughs> he's like the blade but how when i you i once used it to kill you yeah like he's just like what is like what's going on here yeah, yeah. apocalypse was able to teleport himself out and we get one of my favorite 90s phrases in the x-men comics spoken by cable and strife stab his eyes i will still say that it's like uh (laughs) you know uh, there are certain folks i think the wrestler mvp will call people flat scans um (laughs) uh, as which is like a derogatory term for humans if you're like a bad mutant you just like look at those flat scans scans. it's like muggles yeah harry potter Yeah. yeah. But like, this is also, if I remember correctly, just sort of tracing the dramatic arc of the overall story. This, I think, is the first time that we see Strife's face. Mm-hmm. I he think take, so, yeah. He takes it off to fight yep. uh, Apocalypse. Yep. And then we're like, wait, does Cable have a clone? <laughs> like, is this a split? Is this a split personality? Like, what's going What's going on? Part nine. Yeah. I love that this this book opens with that like splash page of like Scott holding Gene that is very like yeah. reminiscent of like the, the Phoenix saga. And you're like, oh, what's going on? Like, cause like last time we saw them was in that in that panel where, where they were trying to escape in the last issue, mm-hmm. like right after we saw Strife watching them. Mm-hmm. What just happened between these two issues? And it's like immediately you get the answers as you continue flipping the book which i really liked Mm -hmm. but it ends up being like not real and also too can we take a moment to appreciate this cover and the mystery in this cover we have stripe sort of lording over cyclops who's ready to (laughs) 
blasts something off page, but he's also holding a baby. Yep. In one hand. In one, in hand. one hand. In one hand. Who's the baby? What's going on? Yeah. Even the baby's like, what am I doing? Yeah. What is this? Yeah. Like, he looks so surprised. Yeah. Like, oh. He's like, yeah. I am obviously lost. It's very much one of those like, you're probably wondering why. Yeah. Like, like, Rec- freeze frame. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, you're probably wondering how I got here. Yeah. Um, so Cyclops and Jean Grey have to escape. The, the Dark Riders are here and all this other stuff. But there's the way they escape is Jean uses her telekinesis. And, like, it's visualized as this almost, like, grappling hook. I've always mm-hmm. thought about that. It's like, you don't see that enough. The way she mm-hmm. does that and she swings them and it's like, like in Star Wars, like in A New Hope when Leia and, and Luke you know, swing off across the chasm. It's almost got that feeling. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And it also feels like Spider-Man, like Amazing yeah. Fantasy 15 where he's just carrying the person with him. Yeah. Um, well, she's carrying him because, I mean, yes, Gene exactly. always carries Scott. Always. Obviously. Like the captions on that page read and in that final panel as opposed to cyclops jean gray has always embraced her mutant abilities blessed with the natural talents of telepathy and telekinetics she felt she couldn't be happier with her genetic gifts that was before scott summers before she'd sacrificed her life on his behalf only to learn there are greater powers than death in the universe and the greatest of these is love so we there's a lot of really complicated stuff going on with regards to her self-conceptualization and being with scott um, which leads us to part 10, which has one of my favorite covers of the whole run. Cause you've got Archangel with this horrifying grin yeah. on his face and he's in, you know, in, in darkness and apocalypse is laughing and the techno organic virus is taking over Xavier. It is so scary. It was so like, like what I was talking about earlier, when you, when we were going to the shop and picking up these issues and you couldn't read it right there, all you saw was the cover. Yep. It was like, Ooh, yeah. Yep. Ah, I got to get home. I got to go home. I got to read this. I got to know what happens. Um, yep. Yep. Just, I think this is my favorite issue too. Yeah. Cause the art in this, this is like the one that immediately like, it just sticks out to yeah. me. Like, cause it's Jay Lee's art. Mm-hmm. It's colored by Glennis Oliver, but like the colors are very like matte and flat. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a whole lot of like variation. It's like, I don't know how to explain it. It's very colorful and very vivid. I like how smooth it all looks. Yeah, like a prime um, example is that two-page spread after the first yes. page where you see yes. you know, all these characters. It's exactly what you're describing. Yeah. I do want to go to the page. Yes. Uh, it's 224 on our, yep. in our That's collection. Where I was. This is my favorite page in this entire book. Silent. It's, there's, yeah, it's silent. And it's, like, it's very like evocative of where they're at. They're yeah. in space. No sound is there. You get no lettering. It's very clear, like, the communication is just done by, like, the facial acting. Mm-hmm. And the thing that, like, blows me away is that, like, Scott is completely in the shadows. And the only thing you see is his visor. And he's still able to, like, express, yep. like, emotion as he's looking down towards Jean and picks her up. And I'm just, like, I love it. Like, I, I love every bit of this. Like, I give me an entire issue like this. It's perfect. Yeah, It's the, the amazing pacing of those quiet moments to apocalypse starting to do the process to mm-hmm. remove the techno organic virus from Xavier to strife you know yelling at Cyclops and Gene and it's mm-hmm. you know it just over the course of like six pages you get tons of character work and tense moments beautiful I was gonna say, art. the tension Ugh. the tension across this issue is just like being built up to like a, a boiling it's like point, even, really. even going back to that apocalypse moment where he's working on xavier it's not clear like what he's doing right you know and beast is like i think this is page 234 he's expunging the virus no he's and then you in that panel you see beast being blocked by archangel's wings and everybody's yeah. like wait a second what's going on and then at the end they're like havoc we've been had archangel's been taken over by apocalypse again he's out to destroy xavier once and for all and then you see that silent shot of archangel's face and he's just looking at what's going on he's blocking everybody else and you're like what is going on in his head right now uh but you do after all that get that like the poltergeist moment the house is clean yeah and it was like the operation is over and he stomps on this little, you know, yep. this little robot. Like scorpion type thing. Yeah. yeah. It looks like the like the bug that they put in in, Neo. Uh, in, in the Matrix. Yeah. In Neo. Yeah. <laughs> when they suck it out. 
Uh, and then it also, also at the same time, like the operating system is done uploading. Cable has finished whittling his little domino doll out of that slab of wood that he somehow Which is got. really sweet, which is like really, yeah. really, really sweet. Like that's yeah. another one of those really Ugh. small, but really like lovely character touches. Yep. And as, some, totally Easter egg. and as somebody who my very first Marvel thing that I wrote was actually a one shot about domino really yeah and so this say more about that yeah so so i got uh, you know i i had the incredible opportunity to write um a one shot for uh marvel's voices legacy the issue that came out i want to say february of 2021 and uh they let me choose whoever i wanted to to choose basically and i chose domino and i wrote this one of my favorite short stories ever about her, you know, busting in on a card game and uh, shenanigans ensuing. But there's a panel there where she's, cause she's talking about the effect of her powers of, you know, the manipulation of luck and probability on people around her and how oftentimes it has seemed that because she basically sucks up all the good luck in a room, everybody around her has bad luck. And there's one point where she's like, makes it hard to keep a boyfriend. And it's that, I right? And it's that, and that Aww. panel is like a flashback to that moment in, I want to say Messiah Complex, where Cable is holding up the portal so that um, I think it's members of Uncanny X-Force can like come through. It's part of the, mm -hmm. the mission to, mm -hmm. to rescue Hope. And the only only way that he's able to keep the portal open is by letting the techno organic virus consume him and it closes oh. shut and he dies and like i love that story yo so it's like it's so and like domino has to watch that happen so so that's you know bringing it all full circle to see cable in this quiet moment in like 1993 whittling you know a block of wood into a domino figurine it just oh chef's kiss how creepy would it be though? Like later, if like Domino's just like over and she's like, "Why did you? Did you do this? <laughs> you, like, yeah. when did you do this? Yeah, and like, it, why? When did you do this?" This issue ends and just so perfect, and you get that moment of Wolverine like, uh, "We've hit a snag." When they they see that they're up against just tons of enemies as they they're closing in on Strife's forces, and then you open up the next issue, and it's just this big hero threesome. Of Cable, Bishop, and Wolverine, claws and guns and pouches and everything. And I, one of the things I really dig about this fight is the feeling of scale. It feels like mm. they're in a big location. Yeah. You know, you get that sense you've got characters from up on high and things happening all around them. I think that's really well placed within the scene. Mm -hmm. But also, like, movement. Like, as like the fight continues, you can, like, feel them moving through wherever they're at like yeah. they're like making their way through all of this it's not like they're just in a room and all these people are popping out of nowhere yeah like, and it's like flooding in like page 246 that first panel the way that verticality is used with wolverine just like balletic it's beautiful to look at it is the x-men arrive you get this big throwdown it's all kinds of cool stuff i love strife He's got this teleporter named Zero, who's got a big zero on his face, and Zero doesn't talk. He's almost like Strife's silent therapist, and Strife <laughs> just gets to, like, pour his heart out to him, and he's got this this great, you know, bit where he's like, such a complicated tapestry we have woven. Time is but a puzzle, and we place the pieces where we see fit, as awkwardly, I imagine, as the analogies I spout. <laughs> He's, he's very self-aware yeah, you know, he just self knows yeah um the final chapter is in x-force uh which just like lets greg capullo just go ham and you got that beautiful first page cable just like strife time's up yep. and then you flip it again i know you don't like it jazz because you don't like <laughs> changing your orientation but man you gotta remember these were initially you know, single, single issue. issue. So yeah, the, no, I, I, it, I understand. It flows a lot. It flows a little bit better than you know when you're trade. If you don't want to bend the spine at all, but bend that spine, let it breathe. <laughs> it's like getting creases on my spines on like books, and then getting creases on my sneakers that are like those are my two pet peeves. Mm -hmm. And it's just like mm -hmm. it just hurts in your mm -hmm. heart. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's like mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> uh, we get another stab your eyes in mm -hmm. in this battle. Cable going up against Strife and. Um, you get just this big dramatic, there's 
wild machine thing on the moon. What a devastating battle. Oh, away from me, Half-Life. Like, it's it's one of those things where, you know, just like as, as somebody who, who like watches a ton of anime where you can trace the like physical deterioration of characters over the course of a battle as they get more and more desperate. Like that page 276 where Cable slices Stripe's chest open and then comes to his feet and his clothes are basically all torn off except for his boots. And you see the like half metal of him. I love that you brought the anime like idea into it because the story is called Ghost, Ghost, in, the the Machine. Ma- Ghost in the Machine and I immediately thought of Ghost, Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell, yep. And so, like, we have the like the first manga, like serialized manga, mm-hmm. coming out around that time. The anime, like, feature film comes out in '95, so it's like very yeah. much like in the zeitgeist. Yeah, this is my storytelling diet. Like all of this, Executioner Song, Ghost in the Shell, Akira. Akira. As you can tell by like the stuff in your back <laughs> yeah. background shelves. Exactly. Like this is why I am the storyteller I am today. So what's interesting? So talking about the you know, like the pacing and the juxtaposition of storylines while Cable and Strife are duking it out, there's this really emotional sequence happening between Apocalypse and Archangel. On on 278, you know, Apocalypse is like on the verge of death and Archangel's just like standing over him and they have this whole thing, like, my angel of death, you are as I made you, strong, a killer, a survivor. And then Archangel says, maybe, but long before I met you, I was, I am a man. And if you go back to earlier in this issue, when Cable first confronts Strife, page 270, that stab your eyes panel, stab your eyes, I'm a man, I'm my own man. Yo, like, <laughs> what? It's like some poetic, like, just like parallel. It's, oh. it's so good. It's so mm-hmm. good. The just straight disrespect of, and he's saying like, as everyone's fighting around me to just die here slowly, enfeebled, mm-hmm. it is not the way to go. And you're right. It is a C story because at the same time, we're also getting the B side of the story, which is back on earth with Beast and Jubilee mm-hmm. and like, with the professor's uh recovery and like him kind of putting all the like connecting all the dots here and then the the big story the big culmination is strife just fighting everyone it's like yeah cable and cyclops and gene and and havoc and just they're blasting each other and at his core he's just so sad and he just feels betrayed and cast aside and he's so upset and he I want to believe you. I do. But how can I? Why am I suffering this way? I'm not the guilty one. You are. You all are. And then that great panel where I leave you what you left me. A legacy of hatred. A legacy of decay. A loss of hope. A loss of life. A pox on all mutant kind. Oh, my goodness. Oh. And and you're you're supposed to think, oh, that's just him in the moment. That's yeah, just him right. being upset, him being angry, him being verbose. There's nothing intentional about that language. Of course not. Huh. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Thinking emoji. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think, you know, going back to the point about Strife at his core being just like a sad child, like that page before, you know, he says, I want to believe you, I think it's 281. You know, Gene at one point is like, we can work to heal your wounds, whatever they are, right. let's work them out together. And then Strife has this moment where it's the lettering in the word bubble is so small. You can hear it as like a almost a, a whisper or a whimper in his voice. He's like, together? All of us together? And then he's like, no, you're lying. If I trust you, you'll just betray me again. And it's like, he's he like he's, he's just a kid. He's just- Yeah, he's struggling too. Cause like the next page he's like, like, I want to believe yep. you. I don't know how I can, yeah. like, yeah. after this ultimate betrayal. That final page that we, we teased about a little bit, it says, as the old song dies, a new chorus begins because it's sinister coming back after, you know, it's seven mm-hmm. issues or so, um, fulfilling, like, picking up that last plot thread. And he opens up the canister he had been licking. And his <laughs> dude opens the canister. And he's like, 
it's empty. And then he's like, oh, God. He's so mad. Why he's should like, oh, I be surprised? Again? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Like, fooled again. Yeah. But then the guy right there is just like hacking up a lung immediately. Mm-hmm. And he says, please do look after that cough. And that right there, tied with the legacy stuff that that Strife <laughs> says, is the sort of the subtle early kickoff to the legacy virus, which would ravage the mutant populace for a good couple of years. Yeah. I did not know that this is where it came from. And when I saw that last panel, I was just like, wait. And it, it was like a total like, oh, my God. I did not like I could not believe that they like snuck that in here. Yeah. It's one of the random like plot threads in this this thing. You don't really care about it until like that last page. And like they put this here for some reason. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it in hindsight, like after like, you know, years of the fact that all these stories have been published. And I'm just like, that's wild. Like they planted the seed so early. And, like, in such a big event, too. Like, it's like, we're not done yet. I love, love, love stuff. Because it's it's so small. It's so small. It's so small. And it ends up leading to, like, one of the biggest events in, like, X-His. Like, the, one of the biggest. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me a lot of when Legion went back in time to try to kill Magneto. Um, because he reasoned that if Magneto... Uh, was not around, uh, Charles would have had more time and energy to spend with him and raise his son. Um, And so he goes back in time. And at this point in the relationship between Charles and, and, you know, Eric, they're friends. They've just met there. I think they're in Israel at the time. And I think Xavier's like recovering from some wound. They become friends. They talk politics and all this stuff. And so Legion goes back in time, tries to kill Magneto, but Xavier jumps in the way and he ends up killing Xavier instead. And that gives us Age of Apocalypse. Yeah. Legion quest storyline. Real good. If you have the trade, like we've been talking about with the Mm -hmm. collected edition, um, it includes the epilogue issue of Uncanny X-Men 297, which is great. It's six characters. It's Uh, Archangel and Beast going to repair their um, the Harry's hideaway. Yeah, the Harry's hideaway, their their haunt that the X Men have you know gone to for decades um, because it got trashed at the first issue of the storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get Rogue and Gambit having some heart to heart moments because just having all the moody. Yep. Yeah. Moody angst. Well, just like aired so, out. So so I have a question actually. At mm. this point, do we have in the in the X stories? Do we have a get like an out and out gambit rogue romance, or is this the seed planted for that? I think the I think they've had a little bit of they've had some dalliances because he's a creep and so he's been yeah. creeping on her right. like a creep. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a total creep in this, oh, in yeah. this uh, story too. I mean, just like looks wise, like I'm just like oh mm. yeah, the hair. Oh my goodness, yeah. The like if this guy was on the subway, oh no, forget I'd it. Be like mm, I'm gonna go to the next. Yeah, car. I'm moving cars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. My favorite part is the Professor Xavier and Jubilee stuff, mm, because yeah. at this point, Xavier had been in his wheelchair for so long and, and he's standing up and he's walking around and he has this conversation with Jubilee and it's quiet. It is just them. This issue always evokes to me feelings of of the fall and mm. just with the leaves rustling through yep. a lot of these pages. Like I can feel an autumn breeze when I read this issue and it's sweet and it's super sad and that ending is a gut punch yeah there's another epilogue but i don't remember ever reading it it's the x-force issue that's another epilogue to this but there's in this collection is strife strike file which Mm -hmm. is just the the handbook um in strife's words of who all the major players of the storyline were there's three pages of villains that hadn't even been introduced yet in the main story oh yeah Yeah. fabian cortez and gideon i love gideon yep yep like some of the characters that appeared like a year later after like yeah. their first appearance was in the strike files. I forgot and I'm like, about what? that. Yeah. 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 In the, in the strife strike files also ties into the trading cards because this trading mm-hmm. cards were branded as strife strike files yep. and they had, um, they had beautiful art on them and some, some of the sort of like strife POV around these various characters. You've got interior art in some original places by Larry Stroman, who does mm-hmm. not get enough love who is just friggin' tremendous in and of himself. His X-Factor stuff was bonkers cool. Mm. Tochi, this was a fun adventure. I'm glad we did this. Oh, same. This was so great. 
Big thanks again to Tochi Anibuchi for coming on the show, for sharing the love for the greatest comic book story of all time, X-Men Executioner Song. Um, mm, greatest of all time? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 100%. Without question. Everyone. Everyone that's in the Guinness Book of World Records, don't question it. It is what it is. It's true. And that is a wrap for us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Pagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk-Allison. Jill Duboff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. We were talking about X-Men Executioner Song mm-hmm. and how the original series, uh, each issue came polybagged and had a trading card right. and everything. I, I know that Brad worked really hard to try to get as many copies of those mm-hmm. as possible back in the day to try to like make it work. You know, he wanted to to tip the market in his favor and right. and actually build a little little nest egg for himself with copies of X Men Executioner Song. And um, did it work? Oh, that's a bummer. Sorry, Brad. Yeah, he spent a lot of money. Are they? Does does he still have them? Do you think? Yeah, he sleeps on them. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense because he doesn't have a house. Yeah, no. He's just uh, he's right. got a nice bed of the greatest comic book story of all time, which in and of itself is a reward. Yeah, it could be worse. Yeah. I'm Ryan. I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. Your universe.